This morning, uh, we're heading into, and I'll, I'll tell you a secret, I don't usually let you see the behind-the-scenes stuff like this. I don't pick the texts at Advent. There's a thing called a lectionary, and I let the, the church historical actually set the text for us. Um, it's a, there's a three-year cycle, and it's always four different texts, so that's 12 years. And if you remember what I preached 12 years ago, that, that's impressive. You traveled. You know, I wasn't here, you know. So. But anyway, the, the text we're moving through this morning, uh, through the through this season of Advent, are the New Testament texts. We're looking at those. And it's interesting. They all have a thing in common. A thing that, honestly, I think we need. Waiting. All of them have that. If you were with us... Last week, you know that that my perspective on how we're doing as a congregation is that we are facing some pretty significant threats. And the impulse is, hey, let's do something about it, quick! But as I look at the text through this season of Advent, all of them have this one thing in common. Waiting. Have you seen this movie? My screen just went out, so I'm going to be looking over my shoulders. The front screens just went out. This is delightful. Yeah. Uh, mine's back. Everyone look back there. <laughs> there we go. That was exciting. Uh, you know, hell is run on computers. <laughs> you know, that's... Have you seen this one? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Have you seen this movie? The movie happens in the, in the... I love this one. When the dogs eat the turkey. And I'm going to ruin this movie for you if you haven't seen it. So, you know, I asked if you've seen it so that I could know whether spoilers are spoilers or not. But if you haven't seen it, where have you been? You know, did you do mission work in Kenya or something? This has been such a... It didn't do all that well in the theaters. But especially for someone my age, and this is Christmas time in the 70s. It just is. It's based on the 1966, uh, oh, I forgot the title, sorry. There's a book in 1966, but it, it captures life in the 70s. They updated it to the 1970s. So if you're in your 40s, man, this is, this is your childhood Christmas time. And I tell you, if you grew up like I did in Iowa, which is on par with Chicago, this happens in a Chicago suburb, you actually know that's no myth. You know, that absolutely will happen. Take it from me. Which I'm sure comes as no surprise to anybody. At the Church of Christ in Iowa City, Iowa, there are metal fences around the window wells because there were these window wells you could fall down into, so they put the metal fence around it. When I was about seven, that metal fence went up. And there's still a little bit of me on that metal fence. That hurts. Don't do it. It's a bad idea. But uh, this movie, it, it captures the feeling of, of what it's like to be a kid, and you approach this scary red-faced elf who's going to give you presents, and if you still believe in him, you got a chance to get your BB gun, you know, and so you're sitting down with him, and he's going, oh, oh, oh. And what does he say? You'll shoot your eye out, kid, and stomps in his face. But you know, most of this movie... Is about the long wait of Ralphie and his dreams for his, his Red Ryder Daisy Rifle BB gun, which is not what he says. I can't remember what he actually, but he just wants that, that P-51 
pistol, not an epistle, it's a rifle. He wants to, he wants to be the one who can save his teacher and, and he wants to shoot bad Bart and all the, and, and all of the build up to Christmas. That's what this movie is really all about. And, and, and what does he get on Christmas? You know, it's worse than socks, man. His dad looking at him goes, do you feel horrible in that? Do you want to go take that off? Have you seen this? The, the movie captures that feeling of childhood and the, the wonder of those presents under the tree. This is 1977. That calendar in December is 1977. You see where Christmas falls? I was six years old, just about to turn seven. I turned seven the 29th. That 25th is on Sunday. You know what you had to do on Sunday? Not open presents is what you had to do. You went to church with the presents underneath the tree. And we were not a, a Christmas Eve family. You didn't open anything on Christmas Eve. You opened it all on Christmas morning. And it didn't matter that you got up early. Uh-uh. No, we're going to church, get the start shirt on, and you're going to go and you're going to sit through the preacher who, because it is Christmas, preaches a very long sermon about how we don't talk about Christmas. And all the while, all the presents are back there underneath the tree, and I know I'm getting a Nerf football because they didn't bother to put it in a box. It's wrapped up in paper like a football, and I don't know what I'm... But I don't get to open it. And no, we get home. You open them then? No, you don't open them then. You eat lunch. And it's Christmas lunch. It's not just average lunch. It's forever lunch. And the grown-ups have to keep talking about how grateful they are and how good the food is. And you're sitting there looking over at the tree. And do they care? No. And I tell you what, that thing right there, it stops working. I think the sand was going up. You ever been there? If Advent tells us anything at all, it tells us about waiting, doesn't it? When you're looking at that going, oh man. And I know it's going to be awesome because to be honest with you, I wasn't much of an athlete. and I didn't care much about the football, but I did care about that other thing that was under there. And man, I didn't even know what it was, but I knew that was a football. And I love my uncle, but anyway, but, it, but I'm, oh, and the wait stretches on forever. I mean, there's no longer day than December 23rd, is there? Except December 25th when it falls on Christmas. Long, stretched out day. You know when, when uh, they held up Moses' arms and made the sun stand still? That's what happens on December 25th when it's a Sunday. It just slows down. But if anything can teach you about how to wait... There you go. I'll be slipping you the the dollar later. But you know what? It doesn't matter when it's a bunch of presents under a tree, does it? Not really. It doesn't really matter. I mean, it matters. You know, it's, it's love. But if you have to wait a while, it's okay. But what if it's like a health problem? When the tests are out, 
And you're wondering, what do they show? The clock just slows down. Or the sick friend, it doesn't look like they're going to make it. Or the the time when the crisis is stretching out and it won't stop and it just seems to, seems to keep piling up. Or when you're faced with challenges that you don't know whether or not you're up to and you're like, ah, I don't need to wait. I need to get stuff done. I've got emergencies all around me. What am I going to do? You ever have that feeling of don't just sit there, do something? There's nothing more American than that. Man, we are trained in self-reliance. And we are taught in how to, how to solve our problems. And if you've got problems and you can't get them solved, waiting's a waste of time. What are you doing? Get up off your rear end and do something. Don't just sit there. You see, but we are Christians. When you're faced with the impossible... If you read through your Bible, that's 180 degrees out of phase. The right reading is don't just do something. Sit there. Because the most powerful thing that we do in our faith is to sit there. And I don't mean the unproductive thing that our American culture criticizes and is so maladjusted about. I mean faithful waiting. Sitting in the presence of God and believing more in Him than you do in the desperation. That you trust in the goodness of God more than you do in the threat of your circumstances. And you trust more in the goodness of God to be able to solve what what is beyond your resources, than you do in the ability to acquire more resources. You know, I, I am one who, who, when I face situations, I take on more responsibility than is mine. When I face things that are hard, I often think, okay, well, i got to do something about this. i got to fix it. If you were with us in the last sermon, you heard that's why I wanted to go to school. And you also heard that God said, Nope. Because we aren't the solution. God is. God is. This is a very, very old thought. Prophet Isaiah said it this way, but of course, before Isaiah, there was Moses beside the sea, and before then, it's always been true. That those who wait on the Lord renew their strength. That's the truth. And that Advent teaches us about waiting on the Lord. Trusting in the Lord. And it's not a waiting where we're like, well, I'm hopeless, I'm helpless, I'm going to do nothing. No, it is a faithful waiting. But it is a faithful waiting because it acknowledges and knows I am not the solution. You are not the solution. Yahweh is. And that we will trust in the Lord. And nothing shows us as clearly the wisdom of doing that than does this season. Because what was our problem? 
What is the problem facing the human race? Don't you occasionally do what you know you ought not do? Don't you look back over your life and you find that over and over again your efforts to make a good life good have made a good life bad? That you have succeeded most in making messes? I mean, it's not that we don't have any success at all. Of course we do. God has given us minds and talents and skills, and when we live well with God, we do great. But I tell you, I can take the most ownership for the things that are the most sloppy. And what do I do about it? How do I solve it? I am not the Savior. I am not my Savior. I have no hope in me. What does Advent remind us of? Christ was born. The Savior came from the outside. Not from within, not from me, not from you, but from God. The way that our life is healed is by God. And Advent tells the truth that those who wait on God are no fools. There are so many faithful Jewish people who lived and died their whole lives waiting. And you may do it too. There are people who went into exile as older folks and they died there waiting. Faithful people carried away because of the sinfulness of the nation. Waiting doesn't necessarily mean, hey, don't worry, you wait long enough, it'll all work out. No, waiting means a living trust. No matter how it works out, long enough timeline, I will be wise to wait on the Lord. And I'm going to do it. I will live my whole life, if that's what it takes, waiting on the Lord. Because I know He's trustworthy. I know He's trustworthy. Christmas tells me so. The birth of the Savior, the death of the Savior, the resurrection of the Savior is all stuff I cannot do for myself and is all done for me. And so, I, they are wise who wait on the Lord. But how do we do it? Because it is hard. It is really hard. Well, Paul has some advice for us. Actually, not advice. It's just gospel. It's just good news. Where Paul comes and says, here's what you got. You feel like you don't have the resources to be calm and peaceful and prayerful. You feel like you don't have what you need. You do have what you need. God has given you everything that you need. And so at the beginning of the book of 1 Corinthians, he opens up with this, this word of blessing that we get to hear today. If you know the church in Corinth, you know they were a mess. And you know that there were, there were people there suffering one another's sins, wishing that their church were better than it was, and wishing it was cleaned up. And how is that all going to happen? It's going to happen by the will of God. Paul opens up to, with... with <laughs> In a way, I almost wish I had waited to put this up until a little later in the sermon. But he opens up with what we really have that makes waiting possible. Grace and peace from God our Father. 
That's how you do it. That God is gracious to us. It is most clearly announced in Jesus Christ our Lord. The grace of God embodied in Him walks around welcoming everyone to Himself, being kind and good, a generous host, even when He's invited to someone else's table. He is constantly good and constantly kind. He is the grace of God. And He was born for us. And He welcomes us into peace. Not peace that says, hey, everything's going well, so I can be at peace. Not peace that says, hey, I'm I'm contented, I have enough, so I can be at peace. Peace from God our Father. A peace that looks at the circumstances that surrounds us and says, I can wait this out. I have a God who will get me through this. No matter what it is. Or you might get you might lose, you might get beaten down, you might even die. Yeah, I can wait that out. Because of the my Lord Jesus Christ. I can get through anything. I can trust in him and I'm no fool to do it. In the middle of the passage we're looking at this morning is this this scripture here. He says, So you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to start with with that last thing. You wait for the revealing of our Lord. He's saying that to a group of people. What revealing are they waiting for? Well, a couple of things I will suggest. One is the most obvious, and that is for Him to come back. You know, He's not walking around with us anymore. He was, but he, He... Floated, he went on all full on Superman, right? He went flying up and was past the clouds and he's gone. We're waiting for him to come back. But I'll tell you, I think maybe, just maybe, Paul's got something else in mind when he's talking to this church. And that is that it should be revealed in, in them. It's interesting, the, uh, the, the word for revealing is apocalypto. Uh, where we get our word apocalypse, and we also get our, our book of Revelation as the apocalypse. But it means, it, and so that pushes us towards the end of time. It's only because of how we use the word, though. What it means is that, that Christ should be showing up, that he should appear, that, that what's hidden should be made manifest. That's what we're waiting for in our lives. The revealing of Christ in us. Because I look at Christ and He's better than I am. He's kind. He's generous. When He gets into a fight with somebody, He's not the instigator and He's not mean. He will provoke things that will start a fight, but He's not being a jerk. He's a wonderful person. He's a good host. He's loving. But He won't leave you a mess. If He comes to you and you're a sinful mess, He'll love you right out of it. And if He comes to you and you're a, you're a, a... self-righteous mess, He'll confront you right out of it. And He is an amazing guy. I want to be that kind of man. Not yet. But I'm a work in progress and I'm waiting for the revealing of Christ in me. And in you. As we wait for it in each other. But the meantime can be so hard, can it? I grieve when I see myself as less than Jesus. When I come to myself and I see how mean-spirited I can be or how foolish I can be or how uptight I can be or worried or depressed or whatever. And I look at that and I'm like, ah, it hurts. 
got to wait. Christ doesn't grow up in me because I decide for Him to. He grows up in me because of the cooperative work of the Holy Spirit of God as He transforms me from the inside out. And He says, you aren't lacking what you need to get through it. You aren't lacking any gift as you wait for this. Now the Corinthians were all a mess about spiritual gifts, but it's interesting as you look at the list of gifts that surround this sentence, he tells us what we really have and what all of us have that help us in the waiting process. Uh, The gifts, I'm sorry, I'm going to skip over that. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. That's an interesting thing to say. You know, in every other Thanksgiving, the only letter he doesn't open with Thanksgiving is Galatians because he's so mad he's got to get right to his problem. Right? But every other time he opens up a letter, he's always giving thanks for the people and he says something great about them. <laughs> Here in Corinth, he says, I always give thanks for you. Because God's good. And He keeps loving you even though you guys are such awful people. And it's kind of a little bit of an insult, right? To the Corinthians. I'm not really thankful for how you're behaving, but boy, I sure am glad that God still loves you. That's what I need during the waiting time. That God is gracious to me when I don't measure up. That God is gracious to me when I'm a mess and He he leads me to be gracious to you when you are toward me. And you to be gracious. I mean, the grace of God's pouring out onto all of us and helps us to live in a community where we can be gracious to one another. And so I'm really thankful that God's holding you together as a community because your sins ought to drive you apart, but I'm really grateful that God's grace is holding you together so you can survive the waiting together. He says that in every way you are enriched in Him in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. What is it that we really need? What, are, what is the real gift that we've got? The Corinthians would say, oh, my ability to speak in tongues, or oh, my ability to heal, or oh, it's my ability to prophesy. No, it's the Gospel. The great gift of God is the story and the teachings and the knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord. If you need to wait through something hard, you know, we want something glitzy. The Corinthians sure did, and so do we. We want some sort of big story where where God solved all of our problems and bing, everything went away. And we didn't have to wait anymore. That's what we want. Look, Jesus Christ went to the cross. His life was not one that got better and better and better and all the problems got solved. His life was one that started out with people following Him. He entered into more and more conflict until eventually there were so many problems that they arrested Him in the dark of night, put Him through a kangaroo court, and put Him to death. That's what He was born to experience. So that story comes to me, and I look at my circumstances and go, how how am I going to get through this? And then I remember that He was born also to be raised from the dead. And so if I wait on the Lord, I'm wise. And I know the story that helps me do it. And as I meditate and concentrate on what He's done, I am empowered by the Spirit to do it too. The grace of God rests on me. The story of the Gospel of Jesus Christ rests on me. And I can get through it. And none of that's because of me. Because I'll tell you, I'm an impatient person. You heard me talking about Christmas, right? I was born impatient, but by God's grace... 
and by the Gospel of Jesus. But he's not done. You're not lacking in any gift. And he goes on to talk about more. Who will sustain you to the end? I never wait alone. If I feel alone, it's because I live in a fallen world and I am a fallen me. And so my awareness and ability to sense the presence of God is corrupted by my brokenness and my fallenness. But He does not leave us. He is far more faithful to us than we are to Him. And when you get through the problem, you look back and don't you say over and over again, you got me through. You sustained me through this. You carried me to the other side. That old that old saw, that old poem, Footprints, it means so much because it is so experientially true. He sustains and carries us through the crisis, through the trouble, through the period of waiting when we can't seem to solve the problem and it won't go away and we're waiting on the Lord. He sustains. He renews our strength. He carries us above it all, even when it's still with us. He sustains us to the end guiltless. Guiltless. I tell you, a lot of what I wait about is I wait for the day when I won't make that mistake anymore. I wait, and and my waiting is a guilty waiting. Am I the only one who ever struggles with shame? The embarrassment of my sins? You ever want to eat your words? You ever want to rewind the tape? Man, I wish I could take that back. And I tell you, one of the things that the devil will do is he'll just sit down beside you and he will commiserate with you. Oh yeah, you're right. Man, that was dumb. Wow, you're a filthy person. I hear you. Tell me more about it. Come on, keep loading it up, man. I, you need to let me know. I'm your buddy here. Other people will lie to you. They'll tell you, don't worry about it. But man, I'll worry with you. Tell me all your shame. Let me know. But he's a liar. He's a killer. Always has been. Always will be. Lies are his first language. He knows how to tell them better than anybody and he will tell them to you and he will tell you as a Christian you are guilty. You are not. Hear the Gospel of Jesus Christ. You are guiltless. And that doesn't, that's not license to be stupid. It is, it is pardon to be forgiven. You are free. And again, not because of you, not because you worked it out, not because you figured it out, because of Jesus Christ our Lord. And I don't feel it. Now wait a while. Just wait with Him. Rest with Him in that because He has promised to do it guiltless in the day of our Lord. That a day is coming when all of this shame will be completely washed away. None of us will have any reason to hide. We will be unembarrassed. He's already starting it now as He leads us out of shadows and into light and leads us to be good to one another and to forgive one another so that we can experience our guiltlessness in one another's accepting love. But it's coming. 
on the day of the Lord, we will stand proud, unashamed, unembarrassed, and full of the glory of God, knowing who we genuinely are, and all of this is a gift secured for you by Jesus Christ our Lord. God is faithful. This is why I can wait. This is why I can do it. Whatever comes my way, I can get through it because God is faithful. God is more faithful than I am. There are so many times that I wonder and I doubt and I struggle and I feel broken down and sad and ashamed as if there were no God in heaven. But God never does that. He never doubts Himself and He never wonders whether I'm going to get through because He's already got it figured out and He's with me. He's with you. He is faithful to us. And He has called us into the fellowship of His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we walk with the man who waited on God unto death. He waited for His deliverance, knowing it would never come, but that it would surely come. All the way to the end of His life, He waited. And then His life restarted. And His waiting was proven right. He was vindicated. So we are in fellowship with Him and we walk beside the One who was born to save us. Go with Him. If you're like me, you just want to do something. When you when you face a problem, just, oh, i got to get out there, i got to solve this. Don't just do something. Sit there. Do every single thing that the Lord leads you to do. But also know that He will often lead you into things you don't want to do. Like being still and quiet and helpless and waiting. We are gifted with all that we need to do it. To get quiet, to get prayerful, and to wait. But how many people have the courage? How many people have the faith to trust the Lord to actually be smarter than we are? Advent shows us that we are no fools because He keeps all of His promises. He always has. He always will. It's who He is. And we who know Jesus, we have His courage to do it. If you look into your life this morning, and and I haven't spent a lot of time camping on sin this morning, but it may be that you're struggling with something and you need the prayers of the church. Or it may be that you're hurting That something awful has happened to you and you want the church to pray for you. We want to pray for you. Or it it may be that you haven't started following Jesus Christ. There is no better day than today. If this morning you're subject to the invitation of God, why don't you come right now while we stand and sing.